be around you people. I, this church, I tell you, um, you might not have got this on the online feed, but there was this great moment where Roland said the thing that all worship leaders said, uh, say, hey, you ready to worship the Lord? And someone shouted out, no! <laughs> uh, I just, I like you people. You, I mean, you love Jesus, you do good things in the world, and you're a little sarcastic. Never change, Pulpit Rock, never change. It's good. Um, hey, we've been in a series on the Minor Prophets. There's 12 of them. We are about halfway through, I think exactly halfway through today. We have six left. We've done six. We're going to look at Habakkuk. Habakkuk, a guy with a name that's really fun to say. Find it in your Bible. It might take you a little while. We don't read Habakkuk a lot. It's a really fascinating book that really is just composed of two questions, two answers, and a prayer. So today we're going to look at the first question and the first answer, and I want to just read something right away to you because there's something you'll notice right away that we need to kind of talk about, and that's where I want to start today. Habakkuk 1, first two verses. The first verse is not real notable, the prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. It's kind of normal stuff, but listen to the second verse. This is Habakkuk talking. This is the first thing that he writes. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Huh, that's a fascinating way to start a book of the Bible, right? Like, I think what we're seeing here is Habakkuk is in a crisis of faith, right? Like, he has some really hard questions for God. He's seen some things that are causing him to doubt that God is, in fact, who he said he is. And over the course of this book, he's going to voice that crisis of faith to God. And so what I thought we'd just start with today is just a real simple observation before we get into all the, like, historical stuff and all that sort of stuff. I just want us to to take a moment and realize when we have a crisis of faith, Habakkuk is our brother. Uh, This is a part of the scripture. His whole book is validating that doubt is, in fact, a part of faith. And that all of us, no matter who we are, will have seasons in our life where we're walking with God and our soul cries out and says, God, I feel so alone. I don't know where you are. I am made of questions right now. Do you even see what is happening here? No, I'm not ready to worship. (laughs) Moments like that are not the end of our faith, they're a part of our faith. And if you've ever been there, or if you happen to be there right now in a crisis of faith, I just want to say this to all of us. I want to say this to you. Take a breath. All the best followers of Jesus have had a crisis of faith. All of them, right? Certainly we see that with Habakkuk. Um, We don't have time to go through all the scriptures, but I could show you with every character in there, there's a moment of a faith crisis. You're not doing something wrong if that happens to you. You know, some have wrongly called the Bible an answer book. And we say that because there are a lot of answers in the Bible. That's true. Uh, But the Bible does not equip us to answer every hard question. It doesn't intend to. And here in this book, we're going to see Habakkuk go to God with some very hard questions, and God is not going to answer them all. He's going to do something else with them. And I think what Scripture is trying to do and what we're going to see in this book is it equips us to carry these hard questions in ways that are healthy for us. That's what we see with Habakkuk. 
So what I want you to know right at the top here, uh, I want us to think about this. The, the faith crisis we might be having or have had in the past, I just want you to know there is space for your questions. There is space for your deconstruction. There is space for your crisis of faith, certainly here amongst us as a church, but also in Scripture. It is in Scripture. We're about to read a book where someone is voicing that crisis to God. And when we're in that wrestling place, I don't think it means something is wrong. I think it is actually evidence that something really good is happening inside of us. It's not shameful. So here's what I wanted to ask. As you think about that and just this idea of a crisis of faith, uh, I thought it'd be worth just pondering. For you, what causes a faith crisis in your life? You've been walking with God for a while. Like for you, what causes that faith crisis? When you experience it, what's it about? I've talked about this some uh, in other sermons uh, other days, but uh, there's been a handful of times in my life where I'm like... I. I almost just walked away from the whole God church thing. Um, and when I look at those moments, like the thread that connects them all for me is that there were moments where there was a lot of pain related to Christians who had leadership over others or influence over others. There's something about the way uh, God made my heart. I can see suffering. I can suffer myself. That doesn't challenge my faith. But there's something about like when I I, I see leaders who are operating in selfishness or self-protection and they make it about themselves when they should be making it about the kingdom, that just throws me, honestly. That's when I wrestle with doubt the most, or that's when historically I have, and that's when I've cried out to God like Habakkuk is doing. If you were to name that for you, what is it that causes a faith crisis for you? Maybe you relate to what I said. Maybe for you, it is God's people. Um, I think all of us on some level can say that. Sometimes God's people are the worst, right? We are. Maybe it's something else for you, though. Maybe it's suffering. Maybe it's your suffering or seeing someone else's suffering and seeing that God is not stepping in to alleviate that suffering. Maybe that makes you doubt. Maybe it's an intellectual issue. Maybe it's an issue of intellectual integrity. As you struggle to wrap your head around some of the things that Christians believe or some of the things that they teach that just seem irrational to you. And so that makes you doubt. You know, I think we all have that thing that throws us a little bit in faith, that that makes us doubt. It's good to name it. It's okay if we can't, but it's good to kind of name that. What we're going to see with Habakkuk is his thing that is throwing him centers around the idea uh, of when God doesn't work the way we think he should. He's expecting God to do some things that God is not doing, and we're going to see him take that frustration and that, that angst that he has straight to God and process and press into his relationship with God. And it's so instructive, I think, for us and what we need to do when we are in moments of faith crisis. So let's look at this. Habakkuk, um, we're going to look at his first big question for God. Let me give you a little bit of background. Uh, The truth is this, we don't know a lot about the person of Habakkuk outside of what we learn from reading his book. He's most likely prophesying after King Josiah died. We've talked about King Josiah these last two weeks when we're looking at Zephaniah. King Josiah was a really good king. He cared about God. He loved God. He tried to do the right thing. He eventually was killed fighting the Egyptian army of Pharaoh Necho. One of his sons immediately became king, Jehoaz, and he was king for about three months before he was captured by the same Egyptians, right? So after that, another of his sons, 
Jehoiakim became king, and he was king for 11 years, and it was kind of the final 11 years of the kingdom of Judah. At the end of his reign, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon marches into Judah and takes a whole bunch of people hostage and takes them off into exile, including King Jehoiakim. And so Habakkuk is probably prophesying in that last 11 years of the kingdom of Judah. So like the curtain is about to close, right? And he sees it coming. This is a really challenging time to have faith in this God who had a dream for his people when you're seeing like the last remnant of his people being wiped out. And so Habakkuk is just voicing those faith struggles to God. And it's not just probably his, it's really on behalf of the people of God, here's what we are wondering. This is his question. Verse 2, how long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed. Justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. When was the last time you talked to God like that? Right? When was the last time you asked God a hard question? I don't mean like a hard prayer request. I mean, like, what Habakkuk is doing is like he's bringing his existential dread to God. He's like, does any of it matter? Do you even see what's happening down here? Are we all alone? Where are you? That's what he's voicing to God. There's violence, injustice, wrongdoing, conflict. Good people are trapped by wicked people. He says, God, you say you care about that stuff, yet you've done nothing. It's a tough question. Let's just pause right here for a second. Can we just appreciate the honesty and the truthfulness of Habakkuk? He is teaching us that it is okay to talk to God like that. This, the first lesson of this book is what do you do when you have a crisis of faith? You show up with God, right? No question is off limits. No feeling is wrong to express. You show up in the moment to God and you express it. You ask it. You say it. You know, sometimes we get in our mind that, like, well, you can't approach God that way. He'll get mad at you. That is not the sort of thing that makes God angry. The sort of thing that makes God angry is when we're prideful, we worship ourselves as if we're God, or when we uh, dehumanize and treat people made in the image of God as if they're less than. That's the stuff that makes God angry, right? But I would suggest this idea of bringing a hard question to God or saying, where are you in this? That doesn't make him angry. That's actually what he wants, And I think it's evidence that something good is starting to happen in our heart. It shows that we're paying attention to this broken world. We're not just living in a delusional security where everything is fine, but we're actually seeing the brokenness. We're being thoughtful about what we see. And most of all, I think what we see with Habakkuk and what we do when we express those questions to God is it shows that we are expecting God to be God. We're expecting that he steps in and does something because we need that. And so Habakkuk shows up and he says, God, it doesn't feel like you're acting like God. What gives? Wait till you hear God's answer. Don't get your hopes up, but just wait. Here's God's response. Verse 5. Look at the nations. Watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Hey, that's a promising response, right? 
It kind of makes you lean in a little bit. Habakkuk's like, why, why are you allowing your people called by your name to do all this wrong stuff? And God says, just wait. I see it. I'm about to do something. You wouldn't believe me if I told you what I'm about to do. Go on. Verse 6. Here's what he's about to do. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They're feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on, guilty people whose own strength is their God. That's his answer. To say that is an unsatisfying answer to Habakkuk's question is a gross understatement, right? This is probably the least satisfying answer God could have given Habakkuk when he asked, why is all this injustice? There's wrongdoing among your people. Why don't you do something about it? And God says, well, here's what I'm going to do. Just wait. I'm going to raise up the Babylonians, who, by the way, are way worse than the people you're talking about, and they're going to come in and just wipe all those people off the face of the earth. You know, file that in the category of, I'm sorry I ask, right? <laughs> now, we're going to pause there, because that's the first question, first answer. Now, Habakkuk, naturally, is going to come back and say, um, excuse me, Lord, I have a follow-up question. <laughs> we'll look at that next week, but... Uh, I just want us to consider this exchange. Uh, I think it's really interesting. It's uncomfortable. It's deeply uncomfortable. But it, there's a, if we can step back and, and just look at the big picture of what's happening here, I think there's some really important stuff for us to learn. Take all the details out of this. What Habakkuk is asking basically is this. Will you do something about the way your people tolerate injustice? That's the core of the complaint. That's the question that he's bringing to God. Your people who are called by your name, they don't actually value what you value, God. That's what he's saying. And he says, what are you going to do about it? And God's response, I'm going to use the, this oppressive empire to bring suffering into the life of my people. That's the core of his answer. So he says, are you going to do anything about these people? And God says, yes, uh, about their injustice, I'm going to allow them to suffer because of their injustice. I'm going to let them experience some hard things. So if that's the core of the exchange, what do we learn from this? I think there's an obvious question and maybe a, an insight on this. The, the obvious question is, how is suffering related to injustice? Somehow God is connecting the two. Habakkuk asks about the injustice. God says, well, I'm going to let those people you're talking about suffer. So how is God's plan about letting people experience hard stuff address Habakkuk's concern about wrongdoing? I think here's the assumption that we are seeing operating here. Not an assumption, but this is just a truth. Sometimes security allows us to tolerate some really bad things. And so God says, uh, you know, I'm going to take away their security and replace it with suffering. And that might fix the problem. One of the things that was happening in Habakkuk's day 
uh, is there were people who were teaching that God would never allow the kingdom of Judah to be overrun by the Gentiles. You understand the minor prophet period was kicked off by the splitting of this nation. So there's the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom of Israel was overrun and wiped out by the Assyrians. And remember, the Assyrians swept down and they invaded Judah and they marched up into Jerusalem and they surrounded Jerusalem and laid siege to it. But King Hezekiah kind of negotiated a deal with them and Jerusalem survived in the southern kingdom of Judah survives. And so some in Judah believed, listen, we have Jerusalem, we have the temple of God, like we're the real people of God, not like those northerners, it's really us. God would never let these Gentile nations overrun us. And so for some in Judah's day, in the kingdom of Judah, they had this false sense of, of security that led to kind of a complacency and an indifference when it came to injustice. Like, isn't this true? Like, if you study history at all, like, like, isn't this true time and time again in every nation? When those in power feel they are untouchable, they will always be slow to act on behalf of the powerless, right? Like, we see that time and time again in history. That, that's been true in every society. It was true in the kingdom of Judah. The, the, those in power had such a good thing going on, and they were kind of exploiting others to get it, that they were not really willing to jeopardize that good thing to take care of the vulnerable people in their nation. Incidentally, isn't this why we worship Jesus? Like, he's the opposite of this. Right? This is us as humans. Like when we're secure, we don't do much for those who are insecure and, and those who are vulnerable. Jesus is the exact opposite. Jesus needed nothing from us. He had everything. He was all powerful. He was all sufficient. He was untouchable. He was totally secure, right? And he set all of that aside to become so touchable that he lost everything, including his life for us who had rejected him. Like, that is the nature of love. That's what makes him the most compelling figure in human history, is he just doesn't operate like other humans. This idea of giving up something that we don't have to give up to take care of those who don't deserve it, that is love, that is Jesus, that's why we worship him, but that's not what was happening in the kingdom of Judah. In fact, the opposite was happening. They're like, we don't have to give it up, so we're not going to. We're not going to take care of these vulnerable people. Instead, we're going to exploit them. And so God says, okay. As a response, I'm going to introduce some suffering into your life to kind of correct this thing that's happening, and you're going to feel your own vulnerability. I'm not sure that's the answer Habakkuk was looking for, right? Like, is that ever the answer we're looking for from God? Um, if suffering, it is an answer, it's just not the answer we want. But God says, that's what I'm going to do. I think it actually leads us to some more deep questions. It might lead us to a little bit of a faith crisis if we let it. Um, I think what's easy about this is to just distance yourself from it and to see these people who it's like, oh, they were so secure, they didn't take care of the vulnerable. Oh, that's not me. I'd never be like that. Um, but I actually think the invitation here is to ask ourselves some hard questions. I've been thinking about this for a few weeks and my tendency is to talk about it like those people who do that sort of stuff. But I actually think we have to, we have to pause and just ask that question about our own hearts. Here, here's three questions I'm pondering. Um, this might lead you to some you might ponder yourself. Um, the first one, and this is the obvious implication of this to me, has the security that I've experienced blinded me to the needs of the vulnerable? Because we're not Jesus... Security has a blinding effect to us, doesn't it? 
Like when we have a good thing, we're like, great, forget about the rest of the world. I have a good thing. And it has that effect that sometimes it can numb us to the needs of those around us. I began to realize a little while ago, I'm sure you probably realized this long before I did, um, on some level, like I won the humanity lottery, right? Um, Like I'm not saying I haven't had challenges or there's been nothing hard in my life, but being born in the most affluent country in the history of the planet, being born middle class in the most affluent country in the history of the planet, gives you some security, right? Some security that a lot of people do not have. And I didn't fully realize that until I started meeting people who live with an intense vulnerability their entire lives. Meeting people who had to worry about, you know, basic nutrition and physical safety and basic medical care just because of where on the planet they were born, right? And it's like, I, I didn't do anything to be born here, but I was born into a type of security Uh, that is significant. And I think I have to ask this, and I've seen this in my life, that there are ways that that security has numbed me to the vulnerable. And I'm so thankful for it. Man, I wouldn't trade it. I love where I live. I love this country that we're in. But I don't want the security that we have to numb me to the vulnerable. That's part of why at Pulpit Rock we talk a lot about the vulnerable. We talk about vulnerable women in India because we want to work against that. We're thankful for the security, but we don't want it to blind us. Here's another question, and I think this is really the goal, not, not to just be uh, uh, unblind, unblind, is that the word? Uh, not to just keep from being blinded by our security, but I think the real goal is this, do I see my kinship with the vulnerable? What God really wants for us is that we would have kinship with vulnerable and exploited people. That word kinship, I love it. It just means made of the same stuff, you know. In Habakkuk's day, the powerful and secure uh, were about to realize that they were made of the same stuff as the exploited. Because when Babylon showed up, they like indiscriminately just exploited everyone, right? So the secure weren't so different. They just thought that they were different from the vulnerable. You know, when we, as people or as a church, when we help vulnerable people, you know, it's like it's not because we're so great, it's not because we've been so blessed or we're so smart or we're so talented or we have so much to give. It's because we're the same, right? It's because we see that, that everyone's life matters as much as our life, that we have kinship with every human on the planet who is dependent on God, made in God's image, looking for love. We see that's us, and that's why we help. Mother Teresa famously said, we have no peace because we've forgotten that we belong to each other. And it's easy when you're secure and when you have power to forget that you belong to the vulnerable and and they belong to you and that there's that kinship there. That's what those in power in Judah had forgotten. And so God says, I'm going to bring some suffering into your life so that maybe you'll remember. And that leads me to the last question that I'm pondering. Um, I would say it this way, am I allowing my experiences with suffering to soften me towards others or harden me? You know, this, I I hate even saying this, but it's true, I know you know this, suffering is unavoidable, right? Suffering is unavoidable for human beings. It is unavoidable. We will all suffer. 
The way that we understand our suffering will either soften us towards others or harden us towards others. Sometimes our suffering will make us more empathetic, more kind. Sometimes our suffering will make us more bitter and more resentful. I think, you know, when we, when we grieve it, when we suffer and we grieve, when we're honest with other people, with uh, God's people, when we press into God, like Habakkuk is doing here, when we pursue healing, I think those things can create in us kindness of heart when we experience suffering. When we stuff it, when we ignore it, when we just don't talk about it, when we put on a brave face, when we hold it at arm's length, when we don't grieve it, I think eventually those things lead us to bitterness and resentment towards people. What I'm trying to learn is that when I experience suffering, I think what God wanted the nation of Judah to know when they experienced the suffering of the Babylonians uh, is to not let it harden them, but to let it soften them. He's trying to soften them where they've grown hard. I don't know that I love the way he chose to do it. I am so thankful I didn't have to live through it. Yet there will be suffering in our lives. And I think part of the, the challenge is to understand it and to navigate it in a way that softens us instead of hardens us. It's quite a moment, right, here at the end of the kingdom, the, the people of God wrestling. I really admire the way that Habakkuk is pressing into it. I think he is asking God hard questions. He, I think he's also, the, by implication, asking himself some hard questions. I think he's showing us God can handle our questions. He's showing us what we should do when we struggle. I think ultimately, and this is where I want to close uh, today, is there's this principle that I see in Habakkuk. You'll see it throughout the whole book. I think it's all over Scripture, but it's clearly here. Habakkuk goes to God with questions, but he doesn't leave with answers. He leaves with relationship. That's really what's happening. And I think somehow, I think that might be better than answers. I've seen this in my own life. Um, the last like real crisis of faith that I had. Um, it was a little bit over six years ago. Uh, I, I had a sabbatical, which is a like 90-day break from ministry to kind of withdraw and rest and reflect and do all that sort of stuff. So I took a sabbatical. I almost didn't come back. Um, you know, it wasn't a, a crisis of faith in the sense that I was like doubting the existence of God. Like I, I truly, I find Jesus the most compelling figure in the history of humanity. I'm going to believe in that guy till the day I die, but um, there was just such a wrestling during that season with God's people in particular. Um, And I almost just decided, you know, a lot of things you can do with your life, I'm just done with this whole thing. I am so glad that I didn't, like genuinely. I, I would have missed out on so many amazing things with you people. These last six years, I, like I just am so thankful to God uh, for this community and for what I've seen and experienced here. I'm so thankful that I hung in there. Um, if you ever want to hear that full story, buy me coffee, I'll tell you. I remember this. During that time, uh, six years ago, I, I was praying a lot of Habakkuk prayers, asking questions of God, like, God, do you even see this? Do you even see this stuff down here? Um, I don't think, to my recollection, God answered one of those questions that I ask. Like, not one. Like, he, he spoke to me, but he didn't give me any answers. He said a lot of stuff like, uh, Jonathan, your relationship is to be with me. 
And I'm like, that's not what I asked, God. I asked this, you know. He's like, Jonathan, your relationship is to be with me, not with the church, not with Christian leaders, not with theology, with me, with Jesus. That wasn't the question I asked, but I cannot tell you in hindsight what grace it was for me that God did not waste his time answering my dumb questions and instead just called me to himself. I think that's what he's doing with Habakkuk. I think that's what he'll do with you if you'll let him, if you'll bring your questions to him. I want to say this. If you are here, uh, if you're part of this community and you're wrestling like, I just, I, I want to say, I am so thankful that God has given you a heart that's willing to wrestle. That is so important. That is not evidence of something bad. That is evidence of something good. Be a Habakkuk. Go boldly to God. Ask hard questions. Ask them a lot. Don't be surprised if God doesn't exactly answer them, but takes your question somewhere else. Go with them to that someplace else. It might not be as simple as the answers that you were hoping for, but it might be better. Wherever we are, I just I feel led to just close with this, just this reminder. I, listen, what God said to me six years ago is still true. I think he's just saying this to Habakkuk. Our relationship is to be with Jesus. That's who our relationship is to be with. And it's so easy to get distracted. My vision goes all over the place. What about this? What about this? What about this? And I think God just says, no, no, no. With me. Not with church. Not with theology. Not with Christian leaders or the family that raised us. Not with anything else. Your relationship is to be with me. And that's what he wants us to hear, whether we're in a crisis of faith or not. Jesus might not give you all the answers, but he will give you himself, and that's ultimately even better. Let's go to him. God, thank you that there's space for us. God, thank you that you do not expect us to just have a bulletproof faith where there's no doubts and we make sense of all of it. Thank you that you've never expected that. I pray that we would be comfortable doing what Habakkuk is doing. Or even if we're uncomfortable, I pray just that we do it, God, that we would press into you with those hard, unanswerable questions that we might even be afraid to ask. And we'd bring them to you. And when we do, we just ask that you'd find us you just find us in those moments, reveal yourself to us, and call us back to that pr primary relationship with you. We love you, Lord. Amen.